as we start. Fathers, we come to the Bible teaching part of the service. Help us to see this isn't Christian Bake Off, where we're watching someone perform. Help us to see this is the moment our lives can be changed. So please help us to hear your voice and make us different people like Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to read Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 to 32. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better to lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It is also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Let me ask this question. If sex is for marriage, how far can you go if you're not married? At the boyfriend-girlfriend stage, how far is too far? It's not just teenagers that need to know, it's for everyone, because everyone knows that uh, people have powerful sex drives, and Jesus does, because he made us. And therefore, whatever age we are, where we know that our sexual drives are powerful, and if we understand the Bible properly, we know that sexual drives are good. It's a wonderful good gift that God gives to people, a great desire to have sex. But, like a fire, it's good to have in a fireplace, it is not good to have in a bookcase. And Jesus is going to tell us that sex is for marriage, and he tells us how to keep a good fire in that fireplace. That's what this evening is about. And he wants us to remember three things. That it's good to love women, it's good to hate hell, and thirdly, it's good to stay married. So first, let's uh, see how uh, it's good to keep the fire in the fireplace and in that to love women. Which means, in verse 28, do not lust after them. What does it mean to lust after a woman? Don't think of them without their clothes on because it will make you want to have sex with them. It's not difficult. But can you see in this how Jesus protects women? He won't let them even be violated in someone's mind, leave alone in actual physical uh, activity. You can't violate a woman even in your mind. That's the protection that he gives. 
Now, Muslims do it differently. They say that uh, the responsibility is all on the woman, their bodies are a problem, and therefore you have to cover them up. Jesus says, I want to speak to men. Our minds are the problem, and we need to clean them up. It's very different. And uh, Jesus' words are right uh, for uh, the word death. I'm not quite sure. Uh, it's, um, I'm, in, I'm in country that I don't know, uh, when I wonder whether women uh, are also equal uh, in lusting. I don't think they are. I don't think women lust like men. Perhaps what they long for, not lust for, is security. And women, when they feel loved, want to love. But for most women, the relationship is important. But for man, the primeval desire is for conquest, not companionship. And so, therefore, we need help to learn how to love women respectfully. And women, you need to help us to love you respectfully by not relating to us in a way that provokes us. Remember, we are weak. But isn't it true that Jesus' words actually fit the world as we know it today? Everyone's heard of uh, the Me Too movement, and that tells you that women in every different occupation and area of life have been subject to abuse. Who watched the Prince Andrew program last night on television? Anyone? You saw clips. Okay. Now, Prince Andrew was uh, uh, invited to speak about his relationship with Jeffrey Epstein, and uh, Epstein was uh, someone who was uh, guilty of uh, underage sex with many women and trafficking them. And that just goes to show you not just one sick individual, but I think it shows you how men, if they have money and power, use their money and power to feed and fuel their lust. And so therefore, uh, this is when you have the power to do anything, this is what you do. But it's not just the famous and the rich and those who uh, have influence. Ordinary families get broken up. On our estate, the number of people where relationships have gone ping and people have gone separate ways. Men going after woman, after woman, after woman because of lust. And women going after man, after man, after man because they long for love but end up discarded after the lust is over and the sex is finished. So it is wonderful, isn't it, to have words that are 2,000 years old but protecting the women that are so vulnerable in our culture today. This is how life would be different if we were to hear Jesus and to stop lasting and not even to allow women to be violated even in the mind. That's the word Jesus. Well, how do we get there? The answer is hate hell. And this is where we go slightly um, confused because we think, well, Jesus has been so good so far. He has 
spoken words that are wise and sensitive to our culture today, and then he goes and spoils it all by talking about hell in verse 29. You can't be a modern person if you believe in hell, can you? That just isn't on. But what's he actually saying here? Don't laugh at him. He's trying to help you. And what he's saying is, if your imagination of sex is this, outside the fireplace, then allow hell to, if you like, replace that image to help you to get rid of it. So, if you think of this experience, well, make sure you understand which experience you really want to opt for. And he puts the second experience there to show us. Now, it's no surprise that our world doesn't like to think about hell very much because right at the very beginning of the world, if you look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 4, I've written it in your notes, that when the devil goes and speaks to the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, the first thing he wants to tell them is forget about hell. You will not die. He wants to turn off the fear of God punishing anybody. And a society believing that lie will laugh at anyone who believes in hell. But friends, be careful at how you laugh at Jesus. He believed in hell. And we need to understand what he teaches about it because our difficulty is that we make hell small. Jesus here is helping us not to do that. The way we make hell small is we say first, it won't affect many people, and second, it won't be that bad. So the first thing we want to say is it won't affect many people. Well, actually, it will. Because we think hell is not going to affect very many people, only the really bad people who've done really bad things. But notice what Jesus says. That hell is for desires, not just deeds. And if we have these desires, then that is where the road will go. The journey starts there. You cross the line at that point. Hell is for desires, not just deeds. Well worth remembering. So therefore, it won't affect many. Actually, it affects everyone. Secondly, it won't be that bad. Because people talk about what happens to the soul. And no one thinks that the soul is going to hurt very much, whatever happens to it. And we like to make hell small by speaking about a time where people in their souls will just be removed and sent away from Jesus, and maybe they'll just, if they're lucky, simply fall asleep. You just get switched off. A lot of people think of hell in that kind of way, so you don't need to think about it. But notice how Jesus says, that hell is for bodies, not just souls. And Jesus compares the experience of losing an arm, losing uh, uh, an eye, better than what you will feel in that place. Hell has painful sensations like losing an arm or gouging out an eye 
It is not anaesthetized sleep, as some people will say. So imagine that experience that's coming when you think of this experience that is tempting. And that's really helpful for us because, my friends, some desires in our hearts will only be driven out if we have a right fear of hell. And if we don't fear hell, then these things will stay in our minds and there won't be change or difference. So what changes then does he say? Remove the eye. That means stop the second look. Do anything to stop the second look. Can't be literally taking out the eye because if you take out the right eye literally you've still got the left one so it can't be that. It just means you mustn't see. There are certain films you mustn't see. There are certain websites you mustn't see. Do anything not to see. A friend of mine swapped his smartphone for a dumb phone because he didn't want to see. It sounds drastic, doesn't it, losing the eye? Because it's meant to be drastic. My eye is really precious to me. I wouldn't want to lose it for anything. So I want to protect it. I want to teach drastic action. And if you think drastic action is uh, too drastic, remember the cross. God would sacrifice his son, cut off his son, rather than let sin into his kingdom. My friends, sacrifice anything rather than let sin into your life. Stop impure looking. And remove the right hand, he says. Which is interesting, because it shows that Jesus knows the power of touch. You know how it is when you're uh, going out with someone the first time, and uh, you hold hands for the first time. It's a big moment, isn't it? But after a while, touch always wants more touch. So holding hands then becomes tame. You want the kiss. And the kiss is electric. But then after the kiss, you want to do more with your hand. And so Jesus says, stop at the start. Stop the progress right at the beginning. So how far is too far if you're not married to someone? Very interesting how Paul, who's a wise apostle, tells a young man called Timothy, how far is too far? Because the Bible tells us how we are to relate to each other before we get married. The Bible doesn't leave us guessing. And what the Bible tells us, wise pastor that Paul is, and he tells Timothy, the young pastor, he says, this is how you should treat younger women. Treat them like sisters. Uh, I haven't got the Romanian in front of me, but if you've got the Bible in front of you, could you go to page 993? Uh, the notes are there, but uh, I want you to look at it. Page 993. And you get to 1 Timothy, chapter 5, and I want you to look at verse 1 and 2. Page 
I can get to uh, read those two verses for you. 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 1, don't rebuke an old man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters in all purity. That's how Christian men treat women before they marry. And we think, well, that's just weird. Until you look at uh, the two warrior sisters and see how they relate to Eddie, and you see that there you are, you've got a relationship that is close, that is trusting, that is affectionate, but is not physical. My friends, isn't it a dream to have a relationship with somebody before you marry them that is close and is trusting and is affectionate? And you can have that without getting physical. Brothers and sisters tell you that all the time. And we can learn and discover that as well. So, hate hell. Lastly, stay married. That's the message of verse 31 and verse 32. Now, the people in that time, the teachers at that time said that Moses was okay with divorce as long as you got the paperwork right. Make sure that the certificate is done well and Moses would be happy. They were wrong. Because to say, just make sure the paperwork is right and then you can go ahead and get divorced is a bit like saying, once you understand a fire drill in a hall like this, go ahead and start a fire. The fire drill is there to control, not to command that we should do something and embark on a certain action, break up the marriage. In the same way, the divorce certificate was only there to control to protect women. If you look at Deuteronomy, chapter 24, verses 1 to 4, it does that. It tells the husband, be very careful before you divorce your wife, because if you do that, there's no going back to her. You've got to guard your marriage because you won't get it again. Be careful. It's protecting the woman. And so when he talks about divorcing on the grounds of sexual immorality in verse 32, it's worth thinking through what that means. Because sexual immorality is less than adultery. In the Old Testament, if you committed adultery, you would die. That was the penalty. Sexual immorality does not take death, it takes divorce. And it is therefore less than adultery. And it could include premarital unfaithfulness or sex. If you think at the very start of Matthew's Gospel, we saw that uh, Joseph, uh, who wasn't uh, yet married to Mary, but because engagement was such a big deal, if that relationship was going to end, it would end in divorce. And Joseph was willing to think about divorce because she was pregnant, and he knew it wasn't him. So in a situation like that, then marriage 
and the ending of uh, the road to marriage, they weren't married at that time, could be stopped and they could separate. But by the time Jesus spoke these words, culture had moved on and the vast majority of the Jewish people were taught by their rabbis that you could get divorced, even if you were properly married, you could get divorced if your wife did anything that was displeasing to you, even burn your dinner. Or, as one person would say, if you found someone, uh, found another fairer than she. And then you could break and go. And so it was always quick release. And Jesus says, no, that can't be quick release, because if you forced her, to be, to, to be divorced from you, you'd be forcing her to marry someone else and that would be adultery. That's exactly what he says at the end of verse 32. But you see the equality at the end of verse 32. This is not just women. A man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. He is just as much to blame in causing uh, her to commit adultery and where he might then go on to commit adultery as well. Now there may be times when a divorce is necessary, we know that in our day, but the second marriage in the Bible is adultery. I should actually have shown you some pictures, that's where the quick release divorce can happen and it pleases one but not the other and shows us how Joseph and Mary were thinking about it, but only for something less than adultery. But then you look at what uh, uh, Jesus says in, I don't know if you can see that on the screen, Mark chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And the same thing in Luke chapter 16, verse 18, everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery and he who marries a divorced woman from her husband commits adultery that is how the Bible sees the second marriage now there is always forgiveness for those who have made those mistakes in the past but it is important that we see the way the Bible tells us to avoid adultery is ultimately to stay married not to think it will be better with somebody else Day married. What can we learn from this? There's a lot to take in, but I want to suggest there are three different people who might learn good things in turn. First, if you aren't a Christian, can you see how Jesus actually delivers us from being preoccupied with sex? Or in some cases, being addicted with sex? That's the real slavery, isn't it? For men especially. The minute we imagine women with their clothes off, we cannot relate to them as a sister with affection, but we find ourselves uh, unable to relate to them as they are if they're just thinking their bodies. And it robs you of companionship which is a great prize if all you can do is think of conquest. And in marriage it will make you a lousy lover if you're using your imagination for sex 
and not the relationship that you have with your wife. So it is a wonderful liberation. Jesus gives men freedom to enjoy the best fire in the fireplace. And that is yours if you follow him and trust him and walk into the freedom that he gives in your relationships. And equally, it gives women protection. Because if Jesus does not want you to be violated, even in a man's mind, is it true that here is someone that you could follow and trust? Because here is someone who will protect you, not dominate you. And the men that Jesus leads you to, if you're a woman, is to be a group of people who will give you what you long for, which is real love. That is, if those men are following him. Now, that's not just guaranteed that the story is always going to end in marriage. But can you just think, if you can have security and closeness and safety with men as your brothers, isn't that a prize worth having? And Jesus will lead you into a prize like that if you are one of his people. And he brings you into his family where people relate in that way. So, wonderful freedoms. If you're not yet a Christian, reasons to follow Christ. But also, secondly, if you're churchy, well, it's easy to see Christianity as a kind of churchy, outward thing, where we outwardly look respectable, and where outwardly everybody admires our deeds. But we keep our desires private. We don't want anyone to know. But my friends, can you see that following Jesus is much more than getting your ticket stamped and going to heaven and just doing outward things. It's about allowing hell to change our desires. Church people generally don't take hell seriously and therefore we don't take sin seriously. Jesus says, start there. Thirdly, if you are a believer, you know when you read this that we are gutted, I think I say in the notes, that is, we realise that we have failed, and many of us fail several times every day in this area. What are we to do with that sense of failure? Where well, Jesus tells us, in right at the very beginning, in Matthew chapter 5 and in verse 3, he says, I'm, re- I'm telling you this sermon so because I want to help you to be broken in spirit. Because, wonderfully, it's failures that look for and find forgiveness and therefore are given entry into the kingdom of God. So be broken-hearted, be broken-spirited because wonderfully God has a great forgiveness and you are forgiven tonight if this is an area where you have repeatedly fallen in. But Jesus equally doesn't just simply forgive and say, well, I'll keep forgiving. You keep going the same way. No. He doesn't lower the bar and say, I'll let you be a Christian because I don't have standards anymore. 
No, what he says is that when he puts you into his kingdom, he puts his kingdom into you. And so what he does is he gives you a whole new heart. Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 33 says how God will create a new heart in people who want to live this way in front of him. And so therefore the broken heart is replaced with a new heart. Think of a little baby and the genes of a musician are grafted into that baby. What will happen? As the baby grows up, it will begin to love music. And that's what the Christian is. He says, Jesus, please help me to love your music, to love women in this way, to hate hell in this way, and to stay married in this way. Because God writes his laws into our hearts. And we want his music to be playing in our lives. That's what God promises. Not just a broken heart. And it's important that we have that when we fail. Otherwise, pride will just deny that we've got it wrong. But honesty admits and honesty finds forgiveness. That's what the humble always discover with this God. But they also discover something new. They discover that he makes brand new people, brand new hearts, brand new music. Pray that God will create that in your heart and please pray that he will create that in mine. I'm going to allow a minute as we pray quietly, privately and then after that I'll close as I lead us in prayer together. Let's just have a moment of quiet. Allow me to stop, let me pray. Our gracious Father, we'd be much more comfortable if you spoke to us about our deeds rather than our desires. Because like actors, we can role play, but we can't change the heart. Yet the prize tonight is great. Freedom for men, protection for women. So please change our hearts so that amongst your people women may be deeply and purely loved. Hell will be truly hated and applied to our desires when they're wrong. And when marriages are secure and solid and committed and faithful. We pray this for your glory. Amen. Amen.